This is another episode of Visiting's radio show where we talk to artists who are doing work outside the museum and gallery system. My name is Alan Nakagawa and I'll be your host. This episode features Los Angeles-based photographer Elon Schoenholz. Elon came over on August 31st, 2020 during the COVID-19 pandemic. And what was really on his mind was the Black Lives Matter movement. We spoke about his participation in the protests and his evolving role as a photographer. Uh, you can view Elon's commercial photography at Schoenholtz.com and see his photo series on Instagram at Elon Schoenholtz. E-L-O-N-S-C-H-O-E-N-H-O-L-Z. What kind of podcast do you listen to? Uh, well, On Being by Krista Tippett's one oh, of my yeah, favorites. You just met, you just yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and On the Media, which is a uh, media criticism, Brooke Gladstone and Bob Garfield. Oh. Um, they get at like what stories are being told, what stories are not being told. Ah. Um, and really, yeah, analyzing, analyzing the media. I'm I'm fascinated by the role journalism plays in our society, and how it can be done well or not well, and yeah. the consequences of that. And, um, so those are, those are two of my favorites. Uh, the New Yorker Fiction is a great one. They ask a writer who's been published in The New Yorker to choose any story that's ever been published in The New Yorker and read it. So a lot of times a well-known author will read another author who's inspired them or been an influence on them and then they discuss it with Deborah Treisman who's the fiction editor and it's like being in the best sort of college what's it called when it's a small small class a lab no, no like like um when it's like a high level course where they're they're sort of intense intense discussions among a group of like 10 to 15 people oh there is a term for it that I can't think of, right. but anyway, it's it, it, it's like that, mm -hmm. um, and it's 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 really it's really amazing, um, New Yorker fiction, and there are hundreds and hundreds of stories you can listen to. Um, so those are three of my favorites. Um, by my friend Rick Garzon, the owner of Residency Gallery. Yeah. Um, owner-director of Residency Gallery. He has a side project where he makes hamburgers and uh, it's called No Ketchup, No Mustard but uh, Pretty Ricky sort of like a nickname of the business and oh. um, it's in the style of Suicidal Tendencies, the hat. Oh he, yeah, he, he got it designed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Devin's son, L Louis, is one of the one of a couple of other people who have this hat, so it's a very prized, special, <laughs> special hat. Nice. Wow. Exclusive. Yes. Yeah. And because his name is Rick, and this is, for people who can't see it, Yeah. Rick James. Oh, nice. Im immediately following the 2016 election, there was a protest, I believe it was that Saturday. I think it was, it was the Saturday after the 2016 election. Uh, I just had a sense that I had to do something. And I had, I had been to like 
protests. I mean, when I was in high school, we we protested apartheid at the at the um, South African consulate in Beverly Hills. That was the first protest I went to without my parents. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but I thought, well, I take pictures. I'm a little uncomfortable taking pictures of strangers, so I should probably get out there and take pictures of strangers holding signs and um, elevate people's voices. And it became a thing for a while, and I'm kind of not doing it anymore. Now I'm just going to the protests and holding signs, because I feel like that's the phase we're in right now. And as a white person, it's more important for me to do that. And and I started kind of questioning if I was the right person to photograph black people, people of color, um, which at first, at first my goal was to elevate non-white voices to an audience, my audience on Instagram, who I felt was overwhelmingly white. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I don't see that as, as a, a great role for me now. So now I, just trying to show up at the protest and hold the sign and just be present. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I've, I've photographed, um, I have thousands of photos of people with signs from 2016 till, till now. That's really interesting. When did you decide not to take pictures anymore at the, at the protest? Um, May 30th, when I went to the first BLM protest in L.A. Oh. following the George Floyd killing. Um, for a long time, for a long time, I've kind of had reservations about some of the photos I took before. Uh, particularly, there's a one I took of a young black woman who I've never been able to ID. Mm-hmm. Um, I've ID'd the majority of the people I've photographed who were total strangers. Somehow on Instagram, people have found their their own pictures or their friends' pictures, and I've been connected to them, and I've sent them files of the photos or actual prints in some some instances. But this young woman I've never been able to find, and she had one of my favorite signs ever. It was was just a black panther on a red background that that I, I assume she had painted. It was beautiful, no words. And I literally, like, the air, like, fell out of me when I saw her in the massive crowd in the, in the first woman's march. And I motioned to ask her if it would be okay if I photographed her, and she nodded yes. And, and I did. And then I started thinking about, well, what if a black woman had photographed her? How different would it have looked? And I just decided, like, that, that as much as, as I had an interest and particularly an interest in that because I had just read a story about a former Black Panther uh, whose name I always forget, but he spent the lo- he was in Angola prison and he spent the longest time of any American in solitary confinement, I think 48 years, wow. and survived with his sanity and had just been released. It was a long, long New Yorker article and the the discipline of being a Black Panther was part of what got him through it. And so I had just read this days before I saw this young woman, and I figured she was about half my age, so she was like three or four generations removed from from this man. Mm. Fox, Fox Weather? His name was something with 
Fox? I, I'll have to look it up. Anyway, when I saw her, I just thought, wow, she's so far removed from this, but obviously it's resonating for her, and it just was overwhelmingly powerful for me. But then I realized, well, that that our roles in society, it just wasn't appropriate for me to be taking that picture. And so I don't want to do that anymore. And so when I went to the first the first protest uh, after the first protest in LA following George Floyd's death, the one that ended up being at the Grove and with like a certain amount of like police violence and looting and all of that, uh, I was there and I just uh, held a sign which for me was uncomfortable. I'm much more comfortable taking pictures, but it just felt like kind of what my responsibility was. So I tried to tried to do that, and my sign said reparations and no one smiled or nodded or anything because <laughs> everyone was really focused on police brutality mm -hmm. but I saw reparations as being like we have to look like police brutality is just kind of what's in front of us but there's a bigger picture that needs to be addressed anyway um, uh, the, the, the former Black Panther's name is Albert Woodfox Woodfox okay yeah so there's a New Yorker article on him very long and I can't recommend it enough his story is phenomenal he's He's free from prison now, um, and he was able to retain his sanity, but he's spent more time in solitary confinement than any American ever. I believe it was 48 years. What's, what, what is your next protest? What am I going to go to next? Yeah. Uh, I sort of try to follow follow um, the news and see if there's one where I feel like my presence is useful or helpful. There are some that I think are for younger people, the ones, the ones that wander around downtown LA at night. I just don't find my place there. I'm a, I'm a dad and I've got to come home and um, I'm in my 50s, and I'm not the person. I think under certain circumstances, I've been thinking about whether I'd be willing to get arrested. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think as, as, as afraid as I am, I would be, but not in one of those situations. I don't think that that moves anything forward at all. Um, so just kind of watching and seeing. I, I went to one of the Jackie Lacey protests, because mm -hmm. I do think that that's super important. The district attorney's are really a local way that we can change uh, justice um, and she's done a horrible job of, of justice for the lack of justice and lack of holding police accountable um, so I think that's the last one I went to and where was that where when where that was out, outside of her office which is um, it's just it's the block north of City Hall. Okay. And when I went, that was, it was still June, so the protests were still huge at that point. Mm -hmm. There were, there were easily 10,000 people there. Whereas, the Black Lives Matter has been showing up 20 or 30 people outside of her office for the last, like, five years or something. Which is also humbling for people like me who have not done anything about it all this time. Right. Um, but... Yeah, so that was it was a powerful 
powerful experience, but I haven't. Oh, and then um, I took my daughter, who is just is 14. We went to a march from a church to the local police station in through our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And that was really revelatory for me. I, I, I had, I'm very political and I had thought of myself as woke before this march. I had already been at the other BLM march on May 30th, but um, I saw some things that really made me realize how blind I've been to the black experience in the mm-hmm. U.S. Like what? Um, well, there was y- one young man who started jumping and screaming all around the protest, and I wondered, we were, we were marching at like San Vicente and Cochrane uh, in the street, roughly 250 people, a little more than half white. So this young black man had been on a run. Uh, I would say he was in his mid to late 20s and just started like jumping and screaming all around the protest. And I, and my first thought was, why would he not be happy with the protest? And then I realized he was so shocked and overwhelmed to see white people marching for BLM in his neighborhood oh. that he was beside himself and just yelling wow. and just like so excited and and overwrought wow. and I saw versions of that throughout I saw smiles on my black neighbors faces the kind of which I just never seen before um, a guy, a, a young guy came out of an apartment building just out of a shower, only wearing a towel and flip-flops with a, a, a fist raised and a huge smile on his face. And people stopped their cars and were honking. White people everywhere were honking their cars in support, even though usually if you're in a protest in the street that blocks traffic, Angelinos have no patience for that. Mm-hmm. And the sense of support I've never seen before, and the look of, oh, man, I I was almost in tears because, I I actually kind of was crying a little bit, because the black people who I saw, our neighbors who were witnessing the march, seemed to, the look on their face was like, you finally, finally see that we've been telling you we're living in a nightmare, and like, you've never seen it. And I realized that I had never seen it, um, even though I had thought that I was aware. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was super powerful. Um, and I was really glad that I had my daughter there with me. So. Uh, there were speeches and um, uh, teaching the kids how to feel about the police also feels really important <laughs> and, and their you know their their negative role in our society um, I was not brought up with that and I'm glad I'm able my kids know better mm-hmm. so. so it's quite a difference between their childhood and your childhood in regards to that yeah reality. yeah I, I mean I mean you're a little older than me so you experience it probably even more but the notion of American exceptionalism and just the general positivity of America as a country, all of that, excuse me, the notion of, of what we were taught, that the U.S. was an exceptional country, and yeah, slavery was bad, but it ended, 
and then there was the civil rights movement and everything was fixed right um all of that and and capitalism is the only kind of the only way and everything else is totalitarian communism and um I guess most of us who are conscious have spent our adults kind of unlearning all of that. And people who still believe it are just, I guess they watch a lot of TV, mm. a lot of Fox News. Oof. Yeah. But, yeah, um, all of that was lies. Yeah. Hmm. And do they... Do they go with you on the pro in the protests as well? The kids? Does your son go? Um, Ivan He's has younger. been to to the women's march uh -huh. and like the anti-gun thing, uh -huh. but he hasn't been. Oh, for BLM, there was there was one because the kids have not been exposed to other people for the whole pandemic. Like, uh -huh. so yeah. there was one car thing that. I forget if it was BLM or Justice LA, but there was a, like a day to drop off roses, roses or carnations at, in front of Jackie Lacey's office in relation to members of, incar of uh, people with incarcerated family members. Mm -hmm. So the whole family did that as a sort of a teaching thing. We did it with, we did that with the kids. Um, but otherwise, no, um, no, there's there's been a different energy about these protests, which I'm a hundred percent behind. But it's not it's not kid friendly mm -hmm. for the most part. I, I wouldn't. It hasn't felt safe. But I completely support what everyone's doing. Yeah. Wow. So, um, in terms of your library of imagery, so it stopped at the kind of the start of. It does. It world. does. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Um, I'm pretty cool with it. Um, the protests have taken such a different turn, and and I like the notion of black photographers getting their work out there. And I think one thing that's super hard for someone like me is to get out of the way, yeah. because I always like ego. I just want to show my stuff, and so that's hard. But that's one of the things I've been trying to do is try to get out of the way a little bit. Um, not that I was taking up so much space in this realm anyway, but but um, there are so many people, younger people, black photographers, doing really great work right now. Um, I don't think the world's missing anything not having my photos. Like, I think I always felt like I was addressing a certain... I have a certain category of friends in, in the real world and in Instagram who are whiter wealthier and more west side and more uh, removed from me and I've always been addressing those people mm -hmm. like that's been my my core audience mm -hmm. and I've seen little shifts in those people oh. on Instagram and that's been the most rewarding thing um, yeah people people who don't have to like who don't necessarily have like friends of color um, they're affluent uh, their west side whatever I, i've i've seen shifts in those people and and that's been super super rewarding to see
going back to what you mentioned, um, these other photographers, uh, you said they're African American photographers. Yeah. So I, I've been like, like I've, I've seen lists and it's, it's funny. Like I can't come up with any names right now, but I've okay. seen lists of like black photographers who are documenting protests across the country, who to watch. And mm. I started following them. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So like no one, no one who I'm friends with. Oh. The phot photographers I'm friends with are more like are older and not may maybe on the front lines as much. I think it's younger people. These mm -hmm. protests, once again, like the cops have been super violent in these protests, and it's it's been a whole different energy from the very kind of bourgeois protests of the earlier years of of the Trump administration. So mm -hmm. um, I think yeah, people are less inclined, and then there's also like there's a whole thing about not identifying people now, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which which was never a factor in the photography I was doing. So, yeah, it's it's changed. Um, but yeah, it's I I, I, I I think I accomplished what I wanted to then, and um, it's a document now. And yeah, I mean, one of the things I really learned was that a protest is pretty worthless if it's all white people at it. Mm. Um, it's also worthless if there are no white people at it, right. but it's, there's a, there's a balance. And when I mm -hmm. went to like the May Day March and the immigration march, and the percentage of white people was so low, mm. it, that was really, that was really telling. And the percentage of like black people in the women's march, you know, um, the women's march was overwhelmingly white. Um, so I think I learned a lot about about the nature of protest also. Mm. Um, so it's, yeah, it's been an, an education. So in, uh, in terms of your photography, what, what are you focusing on now? I don't really have personal projects so much right, right now. I actually just pulled out an old film camera that I'm hoping to photograph. My son's about to turn 10 mm. and I've never photographed him on film. So his older sister, I photographed quite a bit on film mm -hmm. uh, because of when she was born. She's four and a half years older, and I haven't at all for him. So I think I want to I want to um, photograph him on film and maybe start a portrait series um, on on film. But I'm not really. I've been shooting so much for work. For fun, for fun, I'm still photographing topiary, yeah. but I feel like that project's been over for a long time, and I just do it because I enjoy it. Yeah, it kind of felt like I hadn't seen any in a long time, and just like maybe last week, yeah, some popped up, and I said, "Oh, he must be still doing this." Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much an obsessive thing, so I can't really stop. Uh -huh. But I um. I was photographing some installations at CAM and Exposition Park and I realized like I had a I had a break and I didn't have to get home right away. There's there's been I've been so tied to home because of the kids are there full time and like just meal prep and meal cleanup and laundry and like and trying to keep them off of screens and stuff. Um, but I realized I had some time and I drove through like kind of eastern Lamert Park and the area around there and started thinking about once again how that topiary tells the stories of 
the Jay community that was allowed to buy there first and the black community after that and how that black community is really going from there because that neighborhood's gentrified. I mean, more, more than anyone could imagine, unless you're actually there. It's, it's pretty disturbing. Um, um, I saw, yeah, I saw a bunch of people who look like me, like driving Volvos around a neighborhood that I've always thought of as just a black neighborhood, you know, or black and mixed, whatever. Um, so, like, th that topiary sort of took on a new, a new, not a new, but a, like, it, it sort of reminded me of, of the idea that, that the, the topiary tells, tells the human story of, like, oh, these this blocks have all changed in terms of who lives there and what kind of community or, or no community that's there now. But this topiary tells the story of who used to live there. And, mm. um, yeah, and, and for some people, it, it really defines the landscape of that neighborhood. It's a really beautiful, beautiful neighborhood. And there's mm -hmm. such a specific kind of middle class California, Southern California look to them. And the topiary is a big part of that. Um, and I just always enjoy it. There's something about just kind of, it's, you know, it's the same thing as like someone who, what's it called? People who go through records, like in record stores. Um, Oh, I keep thinking of DJ Shadow. It's picking. It's not called picking. Is it called picking? Oh, digging. You, yeah. It's called digging. So it's it, it's a little bit like that. We're just like, oh my God, look at that one. Like turn a corner. Like, hey, I've never been on. You know, I know Norton, but what about the street next to Norton? You know, and um, so there's that aspect of just kind of searching around and right. finding cool, like fun stuff. Um, so it's I go back to it, but 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 I feel like there's whatever was to be achieved in that project was done long ago and now it's just something that I just enjoy doing and also I enjoy returning to areas that I know and seeing how they've changed and kind of mm -hmm. now I'm documenting that oh that's interesting and I have a I have a hashtag called the no longer extant tree index which is intentionally goofy and long but basically, trees that I've photographed that are gone, and there, there are a bunch of them. So, it's kind of interesting, also, passage of time and how tree time compares to human time, right? Like a, a redwood forest that's a hundred years old can look huge and ancient to us, but it's, you know, the old growth redwood forests were more than 2,000 years old. Um, so, just thinking about that and mm -hmm. our relationship with, with trees. Nice. Sorry, I'm... That concludes another episode of Visiting's Radio Show. Thanks so much to Elon for coming over and sharing his journey as an artist. You can hear additional episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. And if you would be so kind as to leave a comment, that would be awesome. Uh, that actually draws other listeners to our show, and we really would appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, this is Alan Akagawa sitting in my living room in K-Town saying thank you for listening to Visiting's radio show. Mm -hmm.